Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and welcome to Games on Film. Welcome to a very Halloween or spooky version of Games on Film. Um, we're indulging ourselves this month with a, a couple of scary video game movies. Well, I guess that's the intention of the video game movies, I suppose. Yes, it's not like this is the only time we're going to be doing horror games on film because, frankly, there's a lot of them. Yes, and today we are tackling maybe, uh, not of course not the first horror video game, but one of the forefathers or grandfathers or, you know, how's your father's, <laughs> survival horror specifically, uh, Alone in the Dark. Yes, I suppose you'd break it down in terms of video game movie franchises and also uh, horror game franchises mm. that there's Alone in the Dark, there's Silent Hill, there's mm -hmm. Resident Evil. I'd say those were the kind of three biggies. Yes, the unholy trilogy, <laughs> as it were. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any horror video games that have had um, earlier than the original Alone of the Dark, which have then had a video game based on it. A movie based on it. Yeah. what? Do, uh, a video game based I mean, on it. You know it. what I was trying to say. But yeah, Alone in the Dark, that, the first game in this series came out in 1992. Mm -hmm. Trying to think of earlier well, scarier games. Well, debatable is Sweet Home, which we may or may not cover in a future episode because it's a little bit sketchy whether the film was based on the game, the game was based on the film. I think we're very much developed or, or made in conjunction like with a, each other. Like a creepy Tron. <laughs> like a creepy Tron. Tron in the dark. Tron in the dark. <laughs> but the the game was, in a way, the inspiration for the first Resident Evil game. And so... Talking about Alone in the Dark. Sweet Home. Sweet Home. Okay. Keep up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but that's for a future episode, and that's another story. But um, I guess people say that Resident Evil coined the phrase survival horror, but then there's always people who say, well, but actually... <clears throat> actually, yeah. I think you're fine. Uh, it was Alone in the Dark, which originally came out on the PC in 1992, yeah. inspired by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's Cthulhu Mythos. Um, exactly that. Exactly you, that. You did the voice of internet comments around the world. Because the original game is not quite the inspiration for the film we're going to tackle. Uh, no. The original game, the original three games, all happen to be set in the 1920s, and you get to choose between um, a male and a female character, the male being um, Edward Carnby. Um, though they're set in slightly different, almost genres, because one is a, is a creepy house game, and I think the third one, by the time you get to the third one, is Wild West themed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they all feature zombies and and various possessed people. But Things that go bump in the night. Indeed. And the the box of the original Lone in the Darks directly says it's inspired by the, uh, the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. And if you don't know your Lovecraft, they are themselves sort of the granddaddy of modern horror. They all deal with uh, ancient creatures. I mean, it seems that the, this entity, Cthulhu, is just a ginormous uh, squid slash dragon slash um, kaiju, for want of a better expression. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been showing up a lot on the internet <laughs> nowadays. He's, <laughs> he's big. He's, he's a YouTube sensation. He's cool. Yeah, the kids love him. The kids love Cthulhu. But you often hear the phrase, a horror can be described as Lovecrafty and that, so that whenever a horror is dealing with um, an ancient race long before man and, and terrible and, and maddening, um, yeah, and particularly things where it's it's these things still exist, but in a parallel mm. dimension, or they are around us, but we just don't see them. It's very much like the horror is everywhere, mm. but you just don't know it. It's about how man um, thinks they know everything, but they do not. No, exactly. But in 2001, a new iteration of the game was released called uh, Alone in the Dark, A New Nightmare. The New Nightmare. The New Nightmare. Not any old nightmare. Yeah, (laughs) just not, oh, here's a new nightmare. It says, no, this is the new nightmare. Not doing a presentation in front of your entire school without your your clothes on. I mean, it was called Star Trek The Next Generation, not Star Trek A Next Generation. True. Yeah, it was the only generation. (laughs) No one's been born for 75 years and then Picard came along. A new... A... A. The. The. Shit. The new nightmare. Not set in the 20s no longer. It's sort of not the original canon. It's just like a remake. Yeah, so it's a rebooted version of the Alone in the Dark series, and its ties to the original games are fairly uh, loose and slim. You play as Edward Carnby again, but he has been redesigned and reborn, because in the original games he's sort of this middle-aged, mustachioed... Paranormal investigator. Yeah. Um, yeah, here he's got um, shoulder-length black hair. Big, long Big, long coat. coat. And um, he has a double-barreled pistol, which is his, de- his defining characteristic. At the start of the game, you get to choose between uh, Edward Carnaby and... Um, Aline Cedric. Aline Cedric. And it says his age... I think his job. 33, yeah. And then his defining characteristic, which happens to be a double-barrelled pistol. And the defining characteristic of the lady happens to be... Uh, she doesn't know who her father is. Hmm. And so, that's, that's her principal character trait and motivation. What would be your principal character trait and motivation? Um, uh, lights, hazelnut, chocolate. <laughs> that could come in handy. I don't know. It's not like, oh, she's, um, you know, like a Resident Evil, good with lockpicks, the master of unlocking or mm. something. I mean, that's tenuous at best, but at least it's like, yeah, this is practical information. Yeah. I'm trying so, to think what my defining characteristic yeah. is. Um, I think it might be talking over and interrupting you. <laughs> talking bollocks. <laughs> talking bollocks. So, uh, The New Nightmare. Well, um, speaking of which... Had you played any Alone in the Dark games? So the only Alone in the Dark game I've played was the port of A New Nightmare. Was it the, the, new, the nightmare. new Nightmare? To the Game Boy 
colour, not a Game Boy colour, but that was a pretty technological marvel because it was the Game Boy colour was going to have a version of Resident Evil on it, but that fell through. Uh, a, tr- a, a port of the PlayStation game, so it has pre-rendered backgrounds, very very basic pre-rendered backgrounds. But Alone in the Dark picked up the mantle, and even though it's very very basic, still a little bit chilling. There is something to be said about roughed around round the edges, giving anything a certain sense of um, a frisson of danger. I looked at the game again on YouTube, uh, the the Game Boy Color version, and it actually baffled me how I found it scary. Well, maybe that's not entirely true. I, I, it was more that it baffled me that I actually managed to play it because mm. it was very basic. It did have atmosphere, but whenever you encounter an enemy, it's not. You get translated to sort of like an isometric shooting mini game, which looks not in the least bit scary. Hmm. So I, I distinctly remember in the Game Boy Color game walking past the, the the scary mansion and a shape moves across the window and you go, ooh, shape. Despite the fact that it doesn't look so great to modern eyes, it was still very impressive at the time. And um, the main version of Alone of the Dark, The New Nightmare... Um, which showed up, I think, on Dreamcast and PlayStation and anything else, PC. That looks properly gorgeous even today, I think. Well, so in preparation of this episode, because the film adaptation takes its cues, at least from characters and a little bit in terms of plot, from the new Nightmare game... Uh, that was the most recent game at the time of release of the mm. film. I played the Game Boy Color version as well, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll play the original mm. version of it for a little bit. We can talk a little bit later about what similarities the film and game has. Mm. A metal soundtrack is is conspicuously absent um, from the video game. <laughs> well, the soundtrack for the video game, funnily enough, is both good and awful in equal measure, it's uh, by Stuart Copeland, right. the drummer from The Police. Okay. Um, who apparently had a, a little bit of a video game soundtrack career. He also did the music for the Spyro the Dragon games. Okay. Which I did not know. Mm. But he also did the soundtrack for Alone in the Dark, The New Nightmare. And it's sometimes interesting and spooky, but then it just... It kind of starts and stops in weird places mm. and gets a bit repetitive. But it, it does set a mood. It sets a tone. The game takes place on October 31st, Ooh. 2001. And it has Edward Carnby and Eileen Sedrak, as mentioned, who are also the main characters in the Alone in the Dark movie. And they travel to Shadow Island mm. uh, to investigate some weird shit. stuff happening. <laughs> some weird shit. And... It's pretty interesting. It definitely has been... They've definitely taken their cues from what the Resident Evil series has done with survival horror. But there's some interesting stuff in terms of using your torch and you have to use your torch mm. to shine a light on the enemies in order to yeah, I think, defeat them. I think that's the big hook of both the, the gameplay and the, and the graphics because mm. the game features the sort of fixed views that the traditional Resident Evil games had been doing up until that point. Yeah, But the way they managed to um, make your torch seem to work is that there are various image, the same background image was layered up in various shades of brightness. So, in effect, you're controlling kind of just like a circle, but 
but wherever the circle lands is is illuminated but mm. to to the naked eye to the when the in the finished result when all layers are together it really just looks like you're you are controlling the beam very very realistically and um and yeah i do love a game where something hidden is is, is revealed by torchlight it's yeah um, and um very very early on in the game one of the first scares really in the game is a uh, is some lightning flashing and there are all these monsters gathered around you and and that sort of stuff really really yeah. freaks me out that that made me jump because it was a bit unexpected so i i played a couple of hours you can choose the characters beforehand i played a couple of hours as edward and maybe about half an hour as aline yeah some of it's still quite impressive but other aspects have dated a bit poorly and I, if i think about the equivalent of time of release like you had resident evil code veronica also on dreamcast around about this time oh. and i think that sort of runs circles around mm. what this game is trying to do it feels very much still trying to catch up with the resident evil series and i think one of the other issues going back to it is that you sort of think maybe it'll be interesting having like a male character and a, and a female character and the different sort of dynamics there but the fact of the matter is is that both characters are really annoying okay. and very useless so um edward spends the whole at least what i played start of a game saying i don't know what's going on i don't know anything you know <laughs> and aline saying hurry help me help me i'm really scared and they're just bickering at each other they get split up at the start of the game and you communicate via walkie-talkie, but all they do is just argue with each other, just saying, I'm really scared, I want it to end, can we just go home now, please? And you'd think, well... Oh, oh I hope Hell Beast does eat you then. Yeah, it's <laughs> really just, um, I don't know, I couldn't really get on with the characters in the game. I, I enjoyed playing it, what I did play, I'm not sure I'll play much more of it, mm. now that I've got a taste for it, because it is a little bit creaky in comparison to similar games of that era it's funny you're talking about resident evil because i think from my reading of the release of res of um alone of the dark one and alone of the dark two back in the early 90s resident evil the original resident evil on the playstation was just about to be released and so it was in the public consciousness and it just seems that the series sadly is is always playing a bit catch up with resident evil so um, but it's yeah because you look at the other releases post the new nightmare and the New Nightmare, I remember doing fairly well at the time and got good reviews mm. and it got quite a lot of attention, I think, because of the brand. But then it took seven years for a follow-up mm. and they did another reboot of the series. And I think the issue with that game was that they decided to try and release it episodically and people hadn't really kind of gotten used to that yes, yes. idea. It was a little bit ahead of its time for that so people didn't really know what to make of it and it got some good reviews generally mm. um but then again that no one capitalized on doing any kind of follow-up and it was another seven years again before they released alone in the dark illumination which um it's like online isn't it yeah it's like an online cooperative game it's not and called cooperative in the dark though no it's alone in the well here's the thing alone in the dark how alone can one person be Hmm. It's like if you're alone in the dark, that suggests you're on your own. But if there's two of you, are you both alone? Hmm. What constitutes alone? Sometimes you can feel alone in, the, in a crowd, though, can't you? Oh, 
that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's as deep as this film's gonna go. Well, that's the survival horror of, of for the modern mm. uh, for the modern person, isn't it? Alone in a crowd, yeah, staring into your phone, oh. not noticing the hell beast behind you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the hell beast is on we. <laughs> but yeah, Alone in the Dark Illumination seems to have killed off the franchise because that got terrible, terrible reviews. Mm. Well, um, I don't think anything is properly dead, though. I mm. feel that there's going to be... I know. Particularly in this spooky October month. Mm. Yes, we may not have seen The Last of Alone in the Dark. There's definitely space for a game about being alone in the dark. Yes. I learned the truth a long time ago. The infrared of the dark is what keeps most of us alive. I can't believe it. It's happening again. What's going on, Carnby? That's what I'm trying to figure out here. Some gateways should never be opened. Hello? Hello? Some fears should never be seen. I don't think we're supposed to be here. And some terrors can never be stopped. Every culture's got a story about the end of the world, doesn't it? But not every story starts to become true. So, uh, spoilers for the film Alone in the Dark, I suppose. Yes. Um, the infamous film Alone in the Dark, because it's definitely one of these films like um, Dead or Alive that we did, where its reputation perhaps uh, precedes it. Yes, particularly because of its director. We return to the well of Uwe Boll. The, the director, ex, well, how is he described on Wikipedia nowadays? Uh, German restaurateur and retired filmmaker. But it's, what kind of food does his restaurant do? German food. Does it really? Yeah, like schnitzel and stuff. Oh, I schnitzel love that stuff. and schnizzle. We should go. We should go. Where is it? Canada. Canada? There's, where in Canada? Is it Vancouver? I'm going to try and sort of. Um, Book a holiday to Vancouver for for me and the missus, and just yeah. stop at this restaurant. Oh, road trip. I could totally, we could totally say, hey, you know how we talk about your films and our podcasts, and he'll be like, yes, because he likes literally everything Uribol related on Twitter, and whenever we talk, and he would spit in our food. Oh, he would, I don't know. He, he would spit in our food, but tell us because it is a privilege. He would do it in front of us, <laughs> just like show that he's doing it. I mean. I've, I'm gonna eat it. Come all this way for a schnitzel. But <laughs> yeah, why go? Why not go to Germany, Harry? Why let a little bit of saliva? Yeah, stop P- you. Schnitzel poutine all together. Ooh, that um, sounds like a heart attack. So um, anyway, Uwebom, what a guy. Um, yes, we did uh, House of the Dead earlier this year, so this was our first foray into the oeuvre of Uwebom, and, and we were kind of surprised, weren't we? Yeah, we we had both seen House of the Dead before. And I think our opinion of it had changed in the interim and we appreciated actually that it was closer to the games in terms of tone, in terms mm. of silliness. Knock about B-movie shenanigans. Yeah, um, then we had maybe given uh, it credit. 
So I think we both, we neither of us had seen Alone in the Dark, the film before. No. So I think we both approached this with maybe not as much trepidation as perhaps mm. we would have initially thought. Although this, as I said, its reputation has preceded yes. it. Did a bit of research. Um, according to the 2008 Guinness World Records Gamers Edition, it is the uh, lowest grossing movie based on a video game. I think that's bollocks. <laughs> well, it might, A, it might be bollocks. Uh, B, it was 2008, yes. and that is a 10 years ago. I mean, there's a whole heap of video games uh, which have been turned into movies. Um, so, But I think 2008, no, sorry, 2005 is when the Alone in the Dark movie came out. Mm. I think the concept of a video game movie was still just over a decade old and, and, and yeah. not really had the... Um, the amount of films that we now have, so um, yeah, less so about box office. It it's it pops up on worst films of all time. It's lists. got one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it was nominated for a bunch of Golden Raspberry Awards, won a few Stinker Awards. I don't even know what those are, but people but, cite Plan Nine from Outer Space in their reviews of this and see this film as being like a challenge mm. to Edward's crown. Do you think someone's going to make a biopic, though, of um, Uwe Boll? There's a documentary I think I think will, Yeah, I think he'll play himself. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll relish that opportunity if someone approached him with that project. It's very, it's, it's rated very highly on the video box, 18. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's got 18 in, out of 18. Yes, there's a, yes, there's a, an 18 rated movie, and I don't think there are many of those in a video game movie pantheon. Uh, because no. they were trying to get as many people watching as possible. Yeah, and we were kind of questioning whether it was justified, but then mm. I guess there is one particularly grisly, mm. bloody moment which we'll get to, which maybe pushes it past it or maybe the bbfc were just like no let's make no one watch this film mm. so so this film didn't do very well obviously no and um kind of watching it i kept asking myself was this actually released in cinemas <laughs> that's a question we asked ourselves of a lot of these films yeah it's um i mean it still baffles me that you went to see house of the dead in the cinema and i can just mm. just imagining seeing that on a big screen just tickles me <laughs> <laughs> well you know i'm sure one day there'll be a, a newer bowl retrospective at, at the cinema perhaps and um you know then there'll be a chance to see all the classics well exactly i'm waiting for the uh, bfi to launch their three month long season to cover mm. all the classics so this was um Uwe Boll's maybe second video game movie because i think he also did blood rain at the same time. Yes, they came out the same year. I'm not sure exactly of the production history. Was, was Blood Rain in the release in theatres? I think so. Maybe so. I think yeah. so. I keep I keep picturing reviews of it in, in the very bottom of like Empire magazine. Yeah, exactly. Also out. Yeah. So we got we, we watched this um the other day. But Raucus Morcus, <laughs> uh, what is the plot? Of Alone in the Dark. Yes, what is Alone in the Dark? Well, it was pitched, I think, as a semi-sequel to The New Nightmare, um, in terms of release, as I said, and it was supposed to tie into a new fifth game in the franchise, and apparently um, 
Bowles says himself that Infogrames, the company which made, made Alone in the Dark, took some sort of face capture mm. of Christian Slater to be used in the in this new fifth instalment. In halfway through the film, they scan an artifact using basically a laser pointer. So do you think we just pointed that at <laughs> they, yeah, Christian he said, Use the laser face. pointer! That's what it's for! <laughs> and then uh, ended up just like doing that. And it was just like, yeah, we got the scan. It's on this floppy disk, whatever you say. <laughs> That game was delayed. Was it called Alone in the Dark? A new, new nightmare. <laughs> yeah, uh, the newer nightmare. Mm. But that game was delayed and then didn't tie in with the film, and and so that sort of fell through. So, as I said, this picks up characters and a few subjects and touchstones of the new nightmare, but it isn't a strict adaptation. But to give you the DVD box, as we uh, as we like to do where possible, Fangoria magazine, reputable. Uh, publication. Reputable? Is it, not, is it reputable or reputable? Let's just call uh, it off. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the tagline is Evil Awakens. Mm. And the Fangoria magazine quote is rousing fight scenes and non-stop action. Well, there are pauses in the action. Yeah. Because there's, there's this one action sequence we will get to. Did, did, if the film was 90 minutes of that, I think it might cause my brain to implode. Did the fight scene rouse you? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm glad it says rousing and not arousing fight <laughs> scenes. Arousing fight scenes. So, the back of the box. Hit us with some plot. Edward Carnby, Christian Slater, is a private investigator specialising in unexplainable supernatural phenomena. For some reason, specialising is with a capital S. I'm not sure why. <laughs> His cases delve into the dark corners of the world, searching for truth in the occult remnants of ancient civilizations. Now, the greatest mystery of his past is about to become the most dangerous case he has ever faced. With the help of his ex-girlfriend, archaeologist Aline Sedrak, Tara Reid, and his bitter rival, government agent Richard Burke, Stephen Dorff, Edward is about to learn that just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it can't kill you. That's an odd final sentence because he totally believes in this shit right from the off. But don't they men- don't they say that at some point in the film? Don't be- just because you don't believe something doesn't mean it cannot kill you. I'm just trying to think of things I don't believe in which might actually kill me. <laughs> um, um, Santa. Santa. <laughs> you wake up one more Christmas what? morning and he's strangling Spoil- you. Oh, I hope there's no children listening because you just spoil- no. But you don't believe in him, but oh. he's real. Okay. Um, Just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not real. Okay. And doesn't mean it cannot kill you. Okay, we've learnt all this from the back of the video box. Yeah, it's a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be. I just realised that Aline is alone with an I. <laughs> I was oh. trying. The name Aline and is a. Aline, it should have been called Aline in the Dark. Aline in the Dark. Mm. Well, well as but that's well as, not the fault of the film, that's the fault of the as, game. As well as the video box, there's a, a full one, uh, one and a half minutes of exposition. The start of the film has script explaining stuff, which we see quite a lot in video game movies, because I think mm. they need to get non-game fans up to speed, mm. but also everyone else. That is also narrated, and then... Christian Slater, as Edward Carnby, does his own narration mm. sort of almost immediately after. So the first, I'd say, 20 minutes of the film is mostly voiceover. <laughs> mm. But the text at the start, I mean, it, it's basically explaining the history of the ancient civilization of the... Um, Abkhani. Abkhani. Which I, I looked up on Wikipedia and there is a Native American tribe 
called the Abernaki. Okay. So I think they just took that name, and Abkhani comes from the games as well, so mm. it's kind mm. of, you know, that's where it's drawn from, but it's all about this ancient civilization, which is this Native American mm. tribe, and I just guess they took this real tribe and twisted a few letters care. around. No, exactly. It's Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, imagine watching star- watching the Star Wars movie and the opening crawl, the opening text, just just keeps going. And, yeah. and just keeps going and going and going. And I've written in my notes, oh, oh Jesus, <laughs> it's just not stopping. Um, it's like the length of the three uh, opening crawls of Star Wars back to back. And it goes so far as to actually explain kind of the a lot of the plot of the film. Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, in, um, I guess, in older movies, you would have, at the very start of the film, it would say the players, like it's a theatrical play, and it would hmm. say this actor as, and it would say the car, the the person in the cast, and then their relationship to other characters, yes. and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it just almost sort of brings you halfway into the movie yeah. <laughs> with just this opening... Um, opening narration. I mean, the the two big, big takeaways is that the Abkhani civilization disappeared suddenly. But yeah. There are also these um, monsters which would hide inside regular people. I think they're called the people were then classed as sleepers. Yes. They're waiting to be awoken by you know, for, at the moment of truth. Yes. And also there is mention of Bureau... 713. 713. It's the 713th Bureau. Um, This one dealing with paranormal investigations. And this one comes... The the name 713, that also comes from the games. Well, here's the thing. In the film, I think he calls himself... He identifies himself as a paranormal investigator. Yes, Um, because he used to work for 713 mm. and no longer does. So I guess that's why he's no longer a bureau investigator he's a private investigator he, he mentions um that every time he discovered something about the abkhani they would cover it up and he got tired so clearly 713 have the resources mm. to find all this stuff so now he has to do it himself and if he's a private investigator who's paying him to do this or is he just booking himself trips to the amazon to hang out with chilean separatists yeah. or something I, mean, I don't want to get too focused on how the video box describes him but it does identify him as a private investigator who specializes in the paranormal and can you imagine that i mean do you think sometimes people come to him because they they think their their husband is cheating on them and then you know he kind of gives up if there's no paranormal element. <laughs> if he's just like, or maybe he plants a bit of evidence. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure your husband's cheating with a succubus, and yeah. that's why I must shoot her. Yes, it's just like, oh, someone's kidnapped my wife. Can you find them? And he just goes, well, aliens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes I like to watch things, TV shows, and. Uh, for shits and giggles, imagine that one member of the cast is secretly a vampire. <laughs> and you could just apply that to CSI or whatever and be like, one or two of these people in the cast are vampires. It would be like Infernal Affairs, where one's a vampire hunter undercover, or one's a vampire undercover, and then... Yeah, Van Helsing 
pretends to be a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> pretends to be a vampire, and Dracula pretends to be a vampire. I mean, the thing is, vampires wouldn't get very far because they'd have to be a vampire hunter. And they'd be like, go and hold this crucifix. And be like, no, I'm sorry, um, I'm Jewish. <laughs> it's like, just like, oh, and hold this garlic. It's just like, oh, I'm on a diet. No, I'm a diet, no garlic. I mean, at the start of the film, he um, takes a ta- cab ride. And the taxi driver says, what do you do? And he says, I'm a paranormal investigator. And the taxi driver goes, um, you fucking serious? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> it seems like an odd thing to say. Yeah. You seen the end files, kid? <laughs> yeah. You seen, he's ba- basically, he's like a shit men in black. Yes. Because he's basically just like, oh, it's a secret. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And it's like, no, try me. And he's like, okay, I'm a paranormal investigator investigating supernatural phenomena. That's what I do. And I'm just going to sort of spill the beans on this secret organisation. Mm. Though, funny enough, I went on a ghost walk recently um, in Somerset uh, in the town of Wells. And for a hot minute, I thought it was going to be me, the tour guide, and two self-proclaimed paranormal investigators. Mm. And they spent ages talking about how they shit on Ouija boards, uh, meaning not literally. <laughs> I mean, That's disgusting. I mean, <laughs> Uh, what I mean to say is that they don't think much of Ouija boards, yeah. but thinking I mean, about it... Maybe it would make the glass slide a bit smoother, yeah. I don't know, or maybe well, it would just... I'm not sure he allowed obstacles on the uh, on the board. It might taint the um, mm, taint I, the results. I want to give it a go now, now that I've come up with this, just to see if that piss off the spirit world, <laughs> I suppose. Just like, are you there? Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Unzip flies. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I mean, Edward Carnby, now he is an orphan, isn't he? Because uh, he grew up in an orphanage where you put orphans. <laughs> where, you, where you put them. Yes, there's a bit of a pre... I mean, post the, the endless opening narration, uh, we get to see a little bit is of action. Well, it says it's set 22 years ago, Okay. whichever the time is, this I, is happening. I did notice a little thing. It says 22 years ago using typewriter font, mm-hmm. but as it types, it makes a computer sound. Mini, mini, mini. <laughs> that little thing. Is it yeah, the, but is everyone has courier I know, that's whatever the thing. it is it's, on their computer. Yeah, it's courier, man. It's not typewriter. I mean, at least it wasn't Comet Sans. I'm sure that was... Uwe Boll's first choice. I thought Uwe Boll, yeah, strong, argued strongly for Comic Sans, the most terrifying fonts. <laughs> it's this orphanage and there's... Run this, by a nun. Yeah, there's Sister Clara and Professor Hudgens. Mm. And there's some untoward business going on, which we will find out a little bit later. But he's going to tell the police that all the kids have escaped and... I think there's 20 orphans, they've all escaped, but one of them, Edward, mm-hmm. he escaped before the rest of them were meant to escape. And he hides out in a high-voltage... Shack. Shack, yeah. Danger, like the generator, the power generator or something yeah. like that. Where Velociraptors hide in Jurassic Park. Yeah, and like there's this little kid just like crying and all this electricity zapping around him. But all mm. you need to know is that this orphanage had 20 orphans. And Carnaby was one of them. And Carnaby was one of them. Uh, we zoom out of his eye hole. <laughs> zoom out of his eye hole. Because he's thinking about this. He was having a bad dream. Yeah. And he's on a plane mm-hmm. returning home from, we find out later, the Amazon with this Abkhani artifact. Mm. Uh, yeah. And this little kid uh, asks him, Mr. Did he have a nightmare? Hmm. <laughs> and um, oh, he says, my mum 
it says you shouldn't be afraid of the dark and he goes your mum's wrong kid being afraid of the dark is what keeps us alive <laughs> it's like and the kid is like why do I always have to fucking sit next to a Christian Slater yeah <laughs> did you have a nightmare my mommy says that there's nothing to be afraid of in the dark mother's wrong, kid. Being afraid of the dark is what keeps most of us alive. So maybe you're thinking I'm an asshole scaring that kid for no reason. But I'm just trying to protect him. So what do um, we think of Christian Slater as Edward Carnby? Well, we have to think about where he was in his, uh, in his life. <laughs> then, I mean, he's in Mr. Robot. This is our second uh, Mr. Robot guy. Yeah, so he, he's doing well I, I think he, now. Was, he was in this interim period where he had success and then he was like lost making Uwe Boll movies. <laughs> and, well, he was doing a, quite a bit of stage stuff. I think around about the time of this film, he was on the West End doing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And then um, okay. more recently he was doing Glendary Glen Ross, I think. So he does quite a bit of stage work. But I think I think it's... That kind of that time where he was this sort of teen heartthrob, cool guy mm. in the eighties uh, and I early nineties. Uh. Yeah, and then he <laughs> was he tried being kind of like action hero lead mm. a little bit, and you know because he had stuff like Broken Arrow and Hard Rain. Oh yeah, and but then this is the sort of period where it's just like he's kind of too old to be heartthrob. I mean, like we're talking. 30s you know (laughs) but you know teen heart from cool but he hadn't quite sort of necessarily matured into proper actor taken seriously territory i I do watch him running around in this film and even though it's on set they must have thought this is not a great movie i get the sense that he thought this could be my big movie i think he i think he's giving it his all no and the character is like your proper 80s style big dick swinging action hero wish fulfillment dickhead <laughs> type guy in a massive leather trench coat yeah regardless of the, the weather. weather yeah I mean, I mean like the first the opening of this f- film like set alone in the dark the main action sequence at the start is in pure bright daylight bright, very sunny very vibrant as well yeah it actually looked kind of pretty in a in a weird way very colorful but it's called alone in the fucking yeah dark. it seemed like a real strange way to kick off your spooky horror movie and um there's a kung fu fighting and i think uh, we watched the special features of this movie and he was very excited to be able to use his karate skills yeah and you know i think he does a good enough job there's this like incredible backflip mm. yeah, from he, the ground yeah so he's lying on the ground uh the his he's introduced in a bit of a car chase and a bit of a fist fight with somebody who we later discover is uh, has got a, like a demon bug monster inside him. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's on his back in the middle of this fight and then manages to kind of backflip completely from the ground. He kind of swings his legs up, takes the baddie in the chin and then keeps going until he lands back onto his feet. And that was mightily impressive, I thought. Yeah, um, probably physically impossible, mm. but it's still... I mean, it took us about 
yeah, that when was, we were watching. I think actually, when you when you look at these kind of movies, you you're looking for oh shit moments, or yeah. and, and with any sort of action scene, there's nothing worse than a, a an action movie which is kind of pedestrian and and there's nothing really interesting to watch. But um, that was definitely the oh shit moment. Yeah, I mean, it attempts something else in that style as well. When there's it does because it's of the time of when it was made, there is a bullet time yes. slow mo sequence, which. Apparently it took six months to make. And <laughs> I think it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's ridiculous, but I thought it looked all right. Like, it's yes. not proper bullet time. It's just everything goes slow-mo, everywhere, and you kind of focus on the bullets it... smashing through some ice that leaves the chamber of the gun, and it goes through a crowd into the I mean, villain. T- t- to quote the great um, Dr. Ian Malcolm, it's during this period where a lot of... Sp- films were so obsessed with whether or not they could they never stopped to think of whether or not they should and this is definitely your 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 turn of the 21st century cgi because they can sort of thing yeah i mean i wrote in my notes here that this this car chase this fight feels a bit like a a bad trip or a fever dream Um, yeah it's it's kind of mental i i mean we get the idea that this guy who's beaten up can't be is Trying to get his artifacts, his Abkhani artifact. I sort of, I sort of missed that. But yeah, yeah. but it, it, it sort of doesn't really play into anything. It is it's... an action sequence for an action sequence. Yeah, sake. but I, I think, as you say, I think Slater acquits himself mm. to the role, and there's some of his residual charm. Yeah, going he, through. He's a charming mofo. Could you imagine any other actor portraying the role of Edward Carnby? Yeah, sure, but well, no, I don't. This is what I'm saying. I think, I think, no, but I... Christian Slater is now synonymous with <laughs> Edward Carnby in the film Alone in the Dark. He owns the role. He isn't given a huge amount to do, but I found, I found his, I found him very watchable, even with saddled with not necessarily great material. I'm just trying to. Remember, I remember watching the film and trying to think, what does this character actually do? Or achieve. Look tired. Because <laughs> he um, he carries this artifact back from the Amazon. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the artifact ever used for? Because the inciting artifact is actually unlocked by somebody else later on. Well, it, no, it it I think the artifact geolocates um, where they need to go. <laughs> geolocates. Well, you know, they scan it and they... There was like a distant look in your eyes. They, you know, type something into a computer and it tells them where they need to go or where Mm. the monsters are coming. Something like that. Okay. Because the the baddie wanted that artifact, as you say. Yeah, but then I think when they unlock the door at the end, he puts what he has and combines it with what Christian Slater has. And then they make the key to open that door. So Um, I think that's it. So Christian Slater, um, he ends up murdering a man... In, in front of loads of people. He also has stolen a policeman's gun. But the next time we meet him, he's, he's just strolling around like nobody has any issue of this. So this is what I was saying when he's like your proper 18s action hero. It doesn't expect, it doesn't expect you to think about little details like like murder. And crime scenes. Crime, <laughs> crime scenes. The aftermath of, of all he, this. Maybe he just flapped his, um, his ID at somebody and said, you know, Paranormal investigator. It's like, like Bureau Seven Thirteen. Yeah. yeah, he's probably like a a, a daywalker or something. But then he doesn't have 
that ID because he goes no. and has to steal someone else's. <laughs> it's a fake ID for an organisation you never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I just want to buy some beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're old enough. You're clearly like in your late thirties <laughs> for yeah. a fake ID. So we got Christian Slater. We've also got Tara Reed. Yes, who plays Aline Sedrak, who's the archaeologist slash ex-girlfriend mm. of Carnby. So, and I have to admit, I've never really understood how she seems to have become this sort of joke actress everyone likes to shit on. But she she's obviously been in some bad movies, and I think now in her later career, she's kind of embracing it. But But what did she do to anyone? <laughs> I'm fuzzy on the details. Mm. She was in the American Pie films. I think she is great in Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, God, yes. Oh, the that's walls, a great movie. The walls are mushy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a hot recommendation. That's not, um, that's not nearly uh, well known enough. So, but I, I think it's basically where people rag on the film and her performance purely because of the casting. So they think, oh, just because... She's this slightly bimbo-y style actor mm. and she's playing an archaeologist and they put her in glasses to make her look intelligent. Mm. And I think it's this it's similar to, say, Denise Richards in The mm. World Is Not Enough. It's like, oh, it's Denise Richards. Ah, ha, ha. She's playing a nuclear physicist. Ha, ha, ha. But well, I, I, I don't see that in her performance. No, they don't, she... they don't try and sexify her at all. No, and I don't see... Not saying that has to be the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's not how, how it's played in the film. Yeah, again, she's not given the greatest of dialogue or stuff to do, but I don't think, I don't think she's bad in the film mm. at all. I think she just does what she has to do. Yeah, I... I mm. You know, I mean, I, I don't think I, it's great, but I... If, I, if I'm honest with myself, I, 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 when I was watching it, I wasn't really thinking if a, a performance is good or bad, but I don't really buy her as an archaeologist. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe maybe not, and so but that's, I don't that's really, a failing there, but I... I don't really buy Christian Slater as a paranormal investigator. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of this film I don't buy. <laughs> I mean, I did buy this film, but it was, yeah. you know, less than a quid off eBay, so I'm... <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's a security guard who works with Tara Reid who... Um, Seems Rob, to, Rob, who um, seems to know more about archaeology than Tara Reid. Yeah, I do not buy him in the slightest. No, he, we're introduced to Tara Reid's character as she's taking delivery of more archaeological artefacts. And rather than this being Tara Reid's big scene where she gets to describe everything about the Akabi... Uh, Abkhani. Abkhabi Indians. Abkhani. Um, <laughs> yeah, rather than Tara Reid getting her moment to shine about her archaeological knowledge, it's it's the fucking security guard who seems to be, you know, in Wayne's World, where a sec- Mr. Oh. Big security guard knows everything about Mr. Big's, like, next week of, of movements. Yeah. He's pretty much that character. Very, very odd. So I think maybe Tara Reid is a bit undermined by that security guard. Yeah, stealing all her lines. <laughs> um, to be honest, though, that security guard, he ends up getting killed later by a monster. And that's like the only scene, really, where anyone is alone in the dark. <laughs> I mean, since we've touched upon the, the security guard dying, guard dying, I think my favourite... Well, maybe not my favourite bit, but the only bit which I thought had a bit of spookiness was when he's going through the museum on his own and all the lights are flickering. And I felt that was a bit atmospheric and, yeah. and spooky. And then he gets killed by the monsters of the piece. 
Um, mm-hmm. The shadows. The shadows. And... The Xenos. Now, they're CGI, and <laughs> they don't look terribly great, but I almost give that a gimme because they're meant to be semi-corporeal. They're not meant to be totally there. Yeah, I kind of... Uh, thought, oh, isn't it convenient to make a film with monsters where they're semi-invisible because mm. then you don't have to spend as much money yeah. um, putting them together. And, you know, that's fine. But actually, there was a there were more monsters and more monster action than I was expecting. I thought they would play up the semi-invisible bit. Um, when all the lights go out in the museum and they're being chased, a lot of that is just them running away from nothing mm. um, and just hearing sound effects of monsters. But then you do get a lot of more monster action later on. And it's, again, part of the games is that you have to shine your torch in order to reveal the monsters so you can combat them and, and such. So mm. We do use yeah. zombies halfway through. Surprise zombies, which, again, is a, a mainstay of this podcast. <laughs> Surprise um, zombies. But I, I wonder if that was just a budgetary thing where like we, we need... We, it's cheaper to paint people as zombies. And also we need some scenes where people are shooting stuff which is on set. <laughs> mm. But but then the games do have zombies themselves, yeah. don't they? So it's yeah. kind of honouring the, ga- the games in that regard. Yeah, all um, these kind of shortcuts and silliness that you think from this film and ropey dialogue, you know, quite a lot of it is, is indebted to the games themselves. So, like, after watching the film, playing The New Nightmare made me appreciate the what I thought were initially shortcomings and probably still are but yeah actually the film is in the same way as House of the Dead is stewing closer to its source material than I would have first expected let's talk about Hudgens <laughs> it's like let's talk about Hudgens Hudgens so he was the guy at the orphanage at the start and for some reason despite the fact that he ran or at least was involved with Carnby's orphanage, I guess it must have been secretly, because he is also Cedric, Aline Cedrak's boss hmm. at the museum, and the fact that Carnby is all about Abkhani stuff, Aline is all about Abkhani stuff, Hudgens is all about Abkhani stuff, you'd think their paths would have crossed in some <laughs> capacity beforehand, and maybe he would have twigged what was going on. Mm. I, I, the, it's it's a bit kind of coincidental in terms of all the relationships, but I guess the. Oh, ev- they're all in this film. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> so a, Oh, what a coincidence! What a coincidence! Oh, you're on the line in the dark. Oh, yeah. so am I. Yeah. Ah. Um, but Hudgens, his, I enjoyed his performance. Mm. I didn't know the actor's name, but no. he's very much operating on a weird villain level, which I think. Maybe he's been waiting all his life for a role like this. Yeah, and it's the three main leads. The rest of the cast is stuffed with people who are just like probably do a lot of amateur dramatics in like local theatre maybe. Um, maybe societies. Maybe they all they all came to the film thinking they're extras, but they got speaking roles. Yeah, because they've all just got this like really weird energy, and they're not sure exactly how to ground their performance in anything like reality. But I enjoy at least what they're trying to do. And in Hudgens, uh, his case, he goes... There's like there's a bit later on when he sees the Abkhani artefact which Carnby gave to, to Aline. His reaction to it is kind of like um, Ian Holm as Bilbo Baggins <laughs> in Lord of the Rings when he sees the ring for he's the first time. He's grabbing for it. Yeah, it's almost like that. Obviously not the special effects, but he's like, oh, where did you get that? I must look at it. Oh, I must see this. 
We introduced him first with the nun, yeah. doing some proper Garth Marenghi's Dark Place style acting, where we're talking mm. about the fate of the world and stuff like that. But then we are next introduced to him um, on a boat with some... Crusty sailors. Crusty sailors who turn to be, out to be turncloaks. Yes, he's looking for the Arabus, mm, which is... A big golden coffin. Yeah, which is under the ocean somewhere. And um, I was getting sort of uh, Titanic flashbacks, people going to search for the Titanic. But anyway, um, as soon as these uh, sailors see the gold, they sort of lock them in a room and try and open this uh, sinister coffin themselves. And um, it's kind of an odd way to introduce your villain, really, isn't it? Because he, he, Hudson's, he, he becomes the big bad, but we're introduced to him being sort of like pushed into a room by lesser thugs. Yeah, just sort of manhandled. And he's warning them, no, 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 don't open it. But they're like, well, if, if they're going to line this coffin in gold, then mm. what's inside must be even cooler. Yeah, like a CD player or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, one of the sailors had a yellow raincoat, and it made me miss uh, Cliff Howard from House of the Dead. Thought, Clint. Clint. Hmm. I've written Cliff. I googled Cliff, and Cliff Howard sh- and Clint Howard showed up. <laughs> Clearly, the Howard clan mm. doesn't have a Cliff amongst them. So yeah, so you liked his performance. Well, I enjoyed it. It wasn't a good performance. Do, it was it, very. Anything, are you, do you enjoy a lot of things you don't like, though? <laughs> I sure. don't like it, but I am enjoying this. <laughs> well, it was very um, hammy, mm. and I think you know of this... the piece of the film. Yeah, I, well, I'm not even sure if it was if it was meant to be that, but I enjoyed the what he was trying to do. <laughs> mm. So when this uh, golden coffin gets opened by these sailors, it causes some sort of a signal which activates the sleepers. This is I mentioned the um, security guards sequence earlier, but this was one of the other sequences which I thought genuinely worked. There was something quite creepy about these these people, these regular people in uh, at home making um, cooking something, or there was a scene in a VHS rental store, and I missed those so much. Um, but people were just doing their own normal thing, and then suddenly they just stop, become dead-eyed. And just walk away and walk out to wherever the signal is leading them. And I, I found that quite affecting. I thought that's kind of a cr- creepy little scene. Um, but we so we had the museum sequence, like we said, which reminded me of the relic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that okay. was the one where it's like an artifact is brought back to a museum. Mm. And then and a, a monster, monster stalks the museum and like chases Tom Sizemore for a bit. Yeah. I mean, when people look back on early CGI monsters and think, God, did people really buy those back then? We didn't. They were always shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When um, the... um, God, why do I keep forgetting this villain's name? What's it called? Hudgens. Hudgens. (laughs) I just can't think of a villain called Hudgens. He needs something with a V in it or something. Um, Call him Von Hudgens. Von Hudgens. (laughs) Professor Von Hudgens. I bet you I'll remember Von Hudgens. Um, Well, there's Vanessa Hudgens. Who's that? Wasn't she in High School Musical? (laughs) That's an interesting pool. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking about people called Hudgens which have a V in their name. When uh, Hudgens comes onto the deck of the boat and he sees all the other sailors just covered in blood, and uh, there's sort of sort of 80 synthy music, which made me think a lot of the score of this film seems to be royalty free music. Like it, it, there's music which seems very like The Crow, lots of like, and then there's a sort of weird synthy music. It doesn't seem to have 
doesn't seem to match. Doesn't it? Doesn't seem to be made by the same person. And I noted that in the credits, it said there was a music supervisor, but I don't think I'm. I saw someone doing the score. Worries investigating the video box now. Is there anyone who does the score? Music by Bernd Wendland, okay. Peters Via, and Oliver Lieb. Well, so there's three musics by. Oh, that, so that might actually explain it, but just those are a lot, probably... doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> one guy's on his synthesizer, one guy's with his orchestral score, and one's with the um, electric guitar. But also, there's a lot of heavy metal music in this film, and there's a I, I learned there's a, a two CD soundtrack for this film full of heavy metal music. So, um, knock yourselves out. Knock yourselves <laughs> out with the Alone in the Dark soundtrack. We are introduced to Bureau 17, Carnby's former employers, and we are introduced to Burke, mm. played by Stephen Dorff. Is he called Burke? Richard Burke. Oh, I keep calling him Richard. <laughs> yeah, Richard can be a last name. Okay, so let's call him Burke, though. Yeah, we'll makes, call him Burke. Makes us think of aliens, which is always a good thing. Well, I think it makes Bol, Uwe Boll think of aliens, because I think he certainly take some cues mm. from that later when, on when the um titles the, the title alone of the dark appears he absolutely lifts the music from aliens when aliens mm-hmm. uh shows its title so yeah i agree with you there i mean this film shifts gears quite um dramatically sometimes like uh, there's a a sex scene um in the film which is almost like the room level of uh, just suddenness isn't it there's a uh, when Tara Reed and uh, Carnaby first meet, they uh, they hug, and then Tara Reed immediately punches him in the face. Yeah. But only a few scenes later, they uh, they are doing the nasty. Yeah, at his massive open plan warehouse. Which I think I saw bedroom. That, yeah, his his bedroom, his his where Edward Carnaby lives reminds me of the brothels from Game of Thrones, <laughs> where it's sort of smoky lighting and sort of. Faintly exotic um, awnings and and stuff like that. But speaking of music, that whole set scene is to the tune of Seven Seconds oh, yeah. by Yusun Ndor and one Nina bit, Cherry. One bit like of music. A chart-topping 1994 hit all about... Very kind of powerful, emotional song all about you know, violence in the world and looking at the world through, you know, the eyes of a child. In the context uh, of this film, seven seconds away from an orgasm, I suppose. (laughs) But I don't know. I I, I mean, what else is on Uwe Boll's set mitts? (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Gee, that's a fire starter. Um, (laughs) Clearly a lot of heavy metal, I suppose. Yes, I'd imagine. Drowns out the noise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the noise he's making oh dear so yeah there's some there's some strange bits and pieces in this film and yeah we find out a little bit more about Carnby's background and and at 7.13 and so Burke played by Stephen Dorff is kind of his rival and being a bit of an arsehole to him but he has got friends on the inside he's got this guy called Fish who's like mm. um, or Fisher who's uh, the surgeon and he's doing an autopsy on the dude Slater iced yes. at the start of the film and finds a big gribbly parasite inside of him. And sort of like aliens type deal. Yeah. But also um, in the same process, he scans Carnby and he's also got this parasite inside him. Mm. And it turns out that all these people who have gone crazy were 
all uh, people same. from the same orphanage. Mm. So it's here so, where he kind of feels like, ah, oh, hmm, maybe uh, that orphanage wasn't all it was tracked up to be. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe the message of this film is don't trust orphans. <laughs> yeah, because they might have parasites implanted into but them. But I think, isn't Edward Carnaby's parasite dead? Did I get that right? Yeah, so at the start of the film, he escaped, and apparently it got it... electroshocked because he hid in this generator high-voltage <laughs> area, yeah. and so it didn't grow, and so that's why he isn't possessed when the sleepers are activated. Mm. So Fish, who's doing the autopsy, Fisher... He's uh, kind of like the cue mm. to Carnby's bond because he basically tells us everything we need to know about these monsters. He says that gold disrupts their electricity, so that's why the coffin was gold-lined. Uh, sunlight kills them. You uh, And then he gives Carnby the special torches which have special light that will destroy the monsters and photon-accelerated luminescence resin bullets... Well, those feel though in the game you pick up like phosphorus bullets and things yeah. like that, don't you? So yeah, that, and magnesium-tipped um, bullets and mm. phosphorus cartridges, and yeah, so it's all part of the game. But it's again this kind of weird exposition dump mm. of oh, these parasites. Well, here's what you need to do to defeat them. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> he's got like a nice gun. I've written here. He's got a nice gun collection on the walls. Yeah, he's got um, uh, autopsy lab slash armory. <laughs> <laughs> You never know when you might need an assault rifle during an operation. Well, no, exactly. Particularly, like, you know, in films where someone you thought was dead comes back to life, you want to <laughs> sort of quickly get a grenade launcher and... <laughs> Surely if if somebody comes back to life when you declare them dead, that's a good thing. <laughs> it's like, no, I declared them. Time not, of death was five minutes ago. Not if they were a monster. Mm. Yeah, so Aline and Kambi, they're, you know, doing more Ebkani artefact sorting mm -hmm. and stuff and they realize it can geolocate i think where these sleepers are or where the monsters are or something because that's when suddenly in the big warehouse bedsit that Carby lives in all the lights start to flicker again mm. and um they get uh attacked by orphans yeah <laughs> orphan attack orphan attack seems all the pieces fit together. Now I need your help to figure out why. With the pieces assembled like this, maybe the computer can plot a location based on the symbols matching these constellations. So what are we looking for exactly? The app kind of used constellations to pinpoint a geographical location, mm -hmm. but I don't think we could zero in more than maybe 100 mile radius. Mm -hmm. Edward. Yeah. If this is correct, I think the computer can pinpoint location. That's right in our area, isn't it? Shit. Here. Okay, so here's this is a very interesting scene. <laughs> but Carnaby and Cedric, they are shooting away, they're attacking zombies, and then the 713 appear in one of the most fucked up bits of action I've ever seen. Rather than just shooting an action scene of shooting and just like like pointing a camera at someone firing a gun, they decided to turn this into some sort of weird special effects extravaganza, but de-emphasizing the word special 
Um, yes, it's an effect. It's <laughs> It's um, they've sort of like copy pasted shooting people into a very dim black background with CGI boxes all over the place and artificial gunfire. And I think the best way to describe it is really to delve into the special effects uh, featurette we watched on the DVD, where the special effects guys seemed very... Mm, you could tell they really were fucked off by doing this scene. Yeah, there was some... Um... You know, like some very low-key insulting of the directors because he said, well, kind of like for some reason they decided to shoot everything on a black background. So When traditionally you do green screen Yeah, green screen or blue screen. And basically we got given all this material and we just had to construct the whole sequence mm. ourselves without any help. Um. It's a little bit like Equilibrium, that opening sequence mm. where you just see the gun flashes and you see the muzzle flare and that's lighting up everything mm. and that's the effect they want to do but imagine that but with everything zooming back and forth rotoscoped and everyone's as i say everyone's very obviously cut and pasted yeah xenos flying people being grabbed and thrown and yeah it's incomprehensible but in quite an impressive way <laughs> I just, I, more, I, impressive it, in that somebody said, yeah, that's fine. Well, I think it, it grabbed our attention. And I think our attention was wavering a little bit at this mm. point in the film. And this was like, also because it was very loud metal music. Yeah. And that was kind of just like... I mean, it's comparable to the House of the Dead, the big action gunfight sequence there, but more condensed and not as good. <laughs> yeah, I mean... House of the Dead's zombie shooting, there was some good stuff in that, but this was, it felt like a proper afterthought. <laughs> and of all the gunfire going, gun going everywhere, I noticed after the film, after the sequence, there was no bullet holes or anything in the walls. It just looked pristine. Oh, well, that requires an attention to detail, which no one is on this film can possibly no, exactly. uh, want to uh, follow up on. The reason Bureau 17 showed up in all this nonsense... Bureau 713. He said Bureau 17, I think. No. Seven, well, that's a contraction of 713. Yeah, exactly. 713. Yeah, yeah. Saving time there. Yeah. Bureau 713, then. Mm -hmm. They've shown up at Carnby's place because... Uh, with a SWAT team. Yeah, with a SWAT team. But Burke knows that Carnby is infected because he got information from Fisher... Uh, and he wants to bring him in, but Carnby's like, no, it's okay, because the parasite in me is dead, so I'm fine. He like, says, Carnby says, do you really think I'm one of those creatures, as he's pointing at Tara Reid? <laughs> do you really think I'm one of these Tara Reeds? Do you think I'm really one of these archaeologists <laughs> that go around these days? But, yeah, it doesn't take much convincing for Bert to be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll brief you on everything and what we're going to do next. Because, and this is what, I, they seem to do this quite a bit in this film, they keep talking about massive readings. Everywhere they go, it's like, we're detecting massive readings. Like and a, that's a library. 
Yes, a library, home to massive reading. Lots of reading at a library. But they're basically, I don't know, picking up signals or signatures or whatever of xeno activity or mm-hmm. something along those lines. So they say it's been picked up at this abandoned gold mine. Mm-hmm. And we're treated to another, what seems to be a staple of Uwe Boll's, um catalogue, at least based on this and House of the Dead, where it's... Uh, Hefty amounts of character conversation slash, slash exposition contained overlaid voiceover across a moving vehicle. Rather than filming inside a helicopter while these people are having a conversation, they just shoot a helicopter slowly coming into land while sort of like a radio play happens where it's Carnby and Burke and... Is Tyree part of this conversation? No, but she's on the chopper. She's on the chopper. And they just talk all about... They're just bringing us up to speed. <laughs> Which just seemed very interesting. But they're so shouting... It, it kind of goes... It seems that all these signals are around this abandoned gold mine. Abandoned gold mine? I grew up there. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, it collapsed uh, 22 years ago and since people died. It's just like, oh, interesting. Interesting. That's, I was I left the orphanage two, 22 years ago. Yeah. It's like, oh, and yeah, it turns out that you and also that guy that you killed earlier on was at the same orphanage or something. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they, they land and there's just army soldiers all over the place. Army soldiers. Well, it's all these sort of SWAT people. <laughs> I SWAT people with, like, wonderful, wonderful bullet armour displaying their six-packs, loud and proud. I should have said, just before this sequence, we are treated to a coat wipe. Oh, gosh, yes. He um, We cut fr- from Edward Carnby. He raises his uh, coat, much like Batman's cape, and the camera pulls into it, and then we cut to the helicopter, <laughs> which is, uh, I guess, one bit of interesting transitional skill from Uebol. Yeah. Or his editor. There were some strange wipes in House of the Dead, usually cutting to the video game mm. in action. But Oh, yeah, at least there's no fucking video game in this. <laughs> but actually, when you think about it, this is a, like an action movie with gory bits. And the yeah. games... The, the the games had more gunplay in it than I thought, but not to the same extent as this movie. I don't think Uribol is able to make anything less than an action movie. Well, in the new Nightmare, if you start the game as lean, you have no weapons. Okay. And you're forced to just scare things away by shining a flashlight on it. Eventually, you do get weapons, but mm-hmm. that's definitely more puzzle-solving than action-oriented. So... And so our heroes, they arrive at this gold mine, which is their perimeter is set up by um, the 713 soldiers, and our heroes go down into a tunnel. Yeah, I think the tunnel, I have a hunch that it's the same on the rails mm. uh, tunnel as was used in House of the Dead. It seems very similar. But I like a good spooky tunnel slash torchlight sequence yeah it felt a bit tomb raidery in this part because they encounter a few booby traps someone, someone falls down a spike pit yeah someone called marco and they kind of shout marco <laughs> you're expecting polo <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so they encounter some booby traps they encounter sort of uh, ancient scripture which they decipher which is all saying stuff like uh, if you've made it down here you're already dead and, yeah, they see lots of skulls, and meanwhile, Hudgens unleashes an army of shadow xeno-monsters on the Bureau 17 
um, tactical how, how forces. Come, how come he doesn't get attacked? Because there's this quite cool shot where he's at the top of this slope in the forest and the camera pulls away and the monsters are following the camera. But I forget why he doesn't get attacked. I guess he's exerting some sort of control mm. on them. I'm not It would have been pretty dark sure. if he like, gets attacked yeah. at the top of the All hill. these monsters rush past him, but then one thinks, no, <laughs> just like <laughs> pounces on him from behind and oh, eats his head. <laughs> because I've written here, we're now into cutting between our heroes down in the depths, in the tunnels, and the just... just incoherent action happening on the surface like yeah here, like helicopters are being attacked <laughs> yeah they've got these sentry guns motion sentry yeah, guns yeah it just seems really brain numbing and, and not terribly well done and i just feel that sort of um taking away the tension and the creepiness down below yeah I, I, well i think a bowl is afraid he's going to lose your attention yeah but like by giving us half of either thing mm. it's it's my attention is split <laughs> mm. so it's lost but because it's been halved one of the bureau 713 guys is played by will sanderson who was the useless boyfriend gonna take a piss guy from house of the dead okay and i think he makes appearances the, in a not, few of not the guy movies. who goes ruff, ruff, ruff. yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah wow and he uh, stumbles upon what I think is the reason why the film has an 18 certificate, which is a unexpectedly grisly dying team member. So she's colleague. dying. She's not dead yet. Well, I don't know. Her legs are still twitching. Mm. So unless it's a monster, has just attacked her. So yes, yeah, it's, it's basically a, a soldier, and her head has been caved in, and you see a bit of teeth and a bit of eye. It is properly nasty. Yeah. But I think just that isn't enough to lift it to an 18. Hmm. Oh, maybe it was just a more innocent time, 2005. <laughs> yeah, now it's just head splitting in half yeah. and 12 A's. Yeah, you see that in fucking... Uh, uh, Captain my, Underpants. Yeah, My Little Pony, Captain <laughs> Underpants. <laughs> and um, the reason why there's lots of chaos happening with 713 is because like the generator has been exploded because Fisher, the colleague on the inside of 713, has in the interim been possessed with a parasite oh. that Hudgens deposited in his mouth. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, so I was going to say that, that was silly of him, but no, that was forced into him. Yeah, it was. And I think that he's told, now you're one of us, which I think is rather, is rather obvious. Yeah, <laughs> but he does a sort of... Um... So he sneaks in, he somehow breaks the perimeter of soldiers. But he, well, because it's Fisher. Everyone loves Fisher. He, <laughs> he sneaks in, and the, was I suppose his generators are creating the lights to stop the monsters from attacking. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So he, I think Fisher kills himself in a big explosion. Yeah. Um, which turns off the generators and that causes the monsters to be able to attack. Meanwhile, down below, our heroes are now being attacked by kind of sandworm type monsters. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of. I just watched this sequence thinking that must have been a fun day on set because there's basically four or five people firing their guns into the sand. <laughs> and later on, uh, CGI sandworm type monsters are, are, are put in. And there's some hilarious behind the scenes footage where Tara Reid is shaking a bright green, seems like a, a coffee tin in her face, <laughs> like a baked bean tin, bright green. And she's like, she's giving a great performance of somebody terrified of baked beans. <laughs> well, our plucky heroes make their way to the lab. Mm. And they just... We had to rewind the scene a few times, didn't we? 
Yes. Because... Um, I mean, partially it's the film fault, partially our attention was maybe wandering a little bit. Mm, because they get into this lamb and they almost immediately identify it as 713 property. So Burke discovers that the very people he's been hunting happens to be his employers. And um, Hutchins, I think, was, was part of the whole deal as well. Yeah. And But there doesn't seem to be anywhere in the lab to really identify this. I think maybe the script says that he he realises it as 713 property. Maybe he looks at a book, but we, the audience, don't get to see no. what he's reading. He just starts to announce, oh, it was like us, it was 713 all along, sort of. They find a bed which is marked E. Carnby. Hmm. And could have been so, one. Could have been um, uh, Elvis. Elvis Carnby. <laughs> Yeah. That's a not? much better character name than Edward Carnby. Why yeah. he should have been called Elvis. Sorry, Carnby. Edwards, but Elvis is mm. I mean that would have been even more distracting than Aline alone <laughs> mm. if one of the characters was called Elvis Carnby. Uh yes, yeah, so he flashbacks again and remembers everything and realizes oh he was being experimented on. It was seven thirteen former employers who did all that stuff to him while he was a kid. Yes, so they're the big bad, and Hudgens was in lead with them. So he makes an appearance and starts... Hello! <laughs> starts <laughs> ranting and raving. Uh, but somebody shouts at Hudgens. My, one of my favourite lines in the film is someone says to Hudgens, Hudgens, don't be insane! Yeah. It's like, it's only that easy. It yeah. saves you a lot of money in therapy bills. If somebody says, just, just, just stop being... Stop being crazy! <laughs> stop being crazy. Yeah, Hudgens starts saying that if Carnby hadn't escaped... 713 wouldn't have shut down his research mm, and he spent 20 it. years looking for the key i guess what he needs to do in this lab is open this door Isn't and he yeah, needs a big big fuck off door in the lab yeah and i he... guess i guess the lab was built around the door though <laughs> I, the the film wrong-footed me a little bit in this sequence because basically uh Combi is just about to insert his piece of the artifact into the door and then it's like I behind the door I get to find out the truth and then he's kind of like but actually no maybe I don't want to know because maybe what's behind here is bad news and he stops himself from doing it mm. but then Hudgens appears messes everything up and kind of says oh but it wouldn't have worked anyway because you needed what i have in my hand and combine the two to open the door so ha ha jokes on you <laughs> um so hudgens does open the door but not before burke throws a knife into him <laughs> yeah and and i wrote here that hudgens reacts to getting a knife in the chest like when i get ketchup on my t-shirt <laughs> he's like oh he's kind of like Ugh. <laughs> But yes, all too late because the door opens and everyone decides to go inside. Yeah, I think they could have closed it. Decided not. Yeah. But um. Might as well go in. You yeah. Know. You've got ten more minutes of the film to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yes, underneath it turns out that behind this door is a, a, a as I mentioned before, a Lovecraftian underground caverns. I don't think there's any buildings in there, are there? It's not a city. It, no, it kind of looks like um, in Lord of the Rings when they go to the Mines of Mordor mm. or whatever it's called and um, you have all the uh, orcs and things climbing down the pillars and columns. Yeah, and so there it's... are loads of monsters down there. Yeah, It's going to be hell and earth, but they've got a bomb with them, which is good. 
But of course, even though they've got a massive bomb, they did decide to completely empty their guns into the millions of monsters coming their way, which seems like a, a gross waste of bullets. Yeah, because they might need those going out. They don't yeah. know what's been happening up, up top. Or they might want to kill themselves with a thousand bullets in the face or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I forget. They set the bomb. They run too far for the bomb transmitter to pick up them activating it. So, yeah, Burke didn't make a note on terms of the uh, yeah. distance of frequency his remote control bomb detonator would work. So he has to run back and activate the bomb pretty much next to the bomb. And and he doesn't survive that, does he? No. <laughs> uh, but um, Carnby, and I keep calling her Tyra Reed. <laughs> That's fine, I keep calling Carnby Slater. So. Exactly. Sorry guys if, and gals who are listening to this. They pop out of the tunnels at the orphanage and inside the orphanage they find a dead nun or they find the dead nun yes to bring it all back to the new nightmare yes the dead nun cannot could not live with herself with everything that's happened why did she choose to kill herself then i guess maybe she i don't knew hudgens was doing all this stuff or maybe she'd been watching the film thus far <laughs> and so and hated it so much. Yeah, here's my review. <laughs> <laughs> so the bomb has gone off. The, the crisis seems to have been averted. All the monsters are dead. It's 8.45am, oh, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting slash odd slash baffling ending. <laughs> because in a style not unlike uh, 28 Days Later or um, Open Your Eyes slash Vanilla Sky or whatever, um, our heroes are walking through the city, which has been completely deserted. And they make a point of saying city... There's text on the screen to say the city's been evacuated. Yes. Which seems to take the wind out of any horrific sails you're trying to fill, because... It would have been terrifying if like all the monsters had like killed everyone, but no, everyone's like safe. Yeah, within the let's say ten hours that's taken place since they arrived at the gold mine, the whole <laughs> of this city—it's a huge metropolis—has mm. been evacuated, which seems. I don't know. I don't know what London's <laughs> monster attack contingency plan yeah. is, but I would imagine it take longer than eight hours to get no, the entire city. No, there'll be traffic jams in. and everything. Yeah. I don't even know why he was evacuated. Who, who put the word out? But even like this Bureau 713... Everyone's evacuated. The office we see earlier on, everyone's evacuated. You think these are the people who are meant to stop these monsters, and they're like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> we, we failed, job done, yeah, uh, let's go home, I get the impression guys. they're the first to flee, or the last. Yeah, because they, they're the first, because they knew it was happening. Mm. They're like, um, uh, by the way, uh, call up 911. Um, Maybe, uh, monsters are attacking, and we don't know what to do anymore, yeah. bye. Maybe they're running through the streets, shouting all the various things people should be afraid of. They'd be like, terrorist monsters! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, no, it is kind of impressive to have a deserted city. Uh, you know, you're always looking for the cars in the distance just to see if you can see. But no, I couldn't see anything. But I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, they just they, they solved the problem, didn't they? They destroyed the monsters? No? Well, I, I guess not, because 713 got wiped out by Did the they? monsters. They Well, I don't oh, know. Oh, no, yes, because on All the of surface. Them, yeah, on the surface they're attacked. They managed to stop the greater f- threat. But still, there's maybe like a hand... How many monsters are there? I don't know. 
25. Oh, Rory. <laughs> 25. Um, I mean, we wanted answers, so we listened to a bit of the commentary, and that he basically, Bowl just says, well, I prefer just having an ambiguous ending, which is more interesting. Mission accomplished? Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> no, so um, our heroes, the last thing we see in the whole film is the heroes walking around an empty street in an empty city, and then the camera wiggles towards them with a monstrous sound, so I'm assuming that they're getting attacked or something. So. Yeah, there's like an Evil Dead-style mm. zooming-in shot. But, like, in the voiceover, um, Kambi says, uh, just like the Abkhani before them, they got wiped off the face of the Earth, so it looks like it's but, happening again. But but they've been evacuated! But he doesn't know that. He doesn't see the text that the on the screen saying city evacuated, yeah. so maybe he thinks that the whole of the city has been wiped out it's just like no 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 we're over here can't be we're over here. well i mean we, there's there's such a thing as an unreliable narrator but maybe it was unreliable text <laughs> maybe the text person is shitting of us maybe it's not 8 45 a.m but in the start narration can't be is talking to you as the viewer He's saying, I'm the one who protects you. And he's saying, you mm. might think that what I said to that kid was a little mean or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... Wait, he didn't protect us. Maybe. No. We're evac... I don't know. Big... What? What? <laughs> Big... Uh, sure, I guess. was closed again but like the Abkhani discovered there's a price to pay for bringing darkness into the light the Abkhani people were wiped off the face of the earth and now it looks like it's happening all over again Compared to House of the Dead, the two Uwe Boll films we've seen, what do you think, Rory? I was expecting a worse film in general. As we said at the start, based on the critical reputation, I was expecting this to be... Unwatchable. Yeah, I was expecting it to be like crazier and more just... You know, what the fuck? And just more baffling. And it is, to an extent, more competent than I Mm. expected. And I think part of that is down to, I think, the cast are generally all right at what they're doing. I think the monsters are kind of okay. I mean, the House of the Dead, apart from the boat crew... (laughs) The, the the main stars of House of the Dead were kind of unknowns for the yeah. most part. Whereas this, you, you've got name actors in the, in the lead roles. Yeah, but I, I fear that this is the sort of new normal for 
Bowl, mm-hmm. based on I have seen a couple of his other movies, his works. Yeah, I've seen a couple of other ones, and they definitely are more towards the dull, mm. boring side rather than the like. Clearly, House of the Dead is clearly a bad film, but it is more enjoyable to watch. Yeah, this was straying dangerously close to Wind Commander territory in certain scenes. I mean, little pieces like. Hudgens, like the strange choice of music in the set scene, like the <laughs> flashing, crazy um, shootout sequence in the dark, um, and that ending, you know, sort of peaks of interest and things. But the rest of it is kind of just like fine. I just don't get the vitriol think... like attached to this when your average sci-fi channel TV yeah. movie is just... A lot worse. When people say, oh, this is one of the worst films ever made, count themselves lucky because they've yeah. clearly not had to watch worse, yeah. worse, worse films. Yeah, if you think this is the worst movie ever made, you need to see more bad movies. Yeah, exactly. I did feel this was a step down from House of the Dead. I feel like I was genuinely entertained by House of the Dead, even though it's not a really, you wouldn't ever say it was like a, g- a good film. You're more likely to get a headache watching House of the Dead, but... <laughs> <laughs> this one, uh, the charisma of Christian Slater, I think, helped, even though... You know, I mean, look at his face on the back of the box. Oh, he looks so happy holding that big gun. <laughs> Trying to think if I'd recommend seeing this. I mean, clearly it hasn't... Like, fans of the games weren't necessarily... No, ill-served. Yeah. It has none of the atmosphere of of the games that we played, especially A New Nightmare. And The I, New Nightmare. But I just... Yeah, so I, I'm not sure who exactly it's for. It, it won't necessarily appeal to a, you know, bad movie crowd. It won't appeal to fans of the games. I think maybe Christian Slater fans might <laughs> get a little bit I, out of it. I did have some... When I was at school... I knew a girl who wanted to see all of Christian Slater's movies, and that's why she borrowed Star Trek VI off me <laughs> for his In the Dark cameo. And yeah, she, he spends more time in the dark in that film than yeah. in this one. <laughs> that's absolutely true. He's 100% in the dark in Star Trek VI. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, it's certainly not as dreadful as his reputation proceeds, um, but, yeah, I, I, given a choice between this and House of the Dead, I would recommend House of the Dead... Um, given the choice between this and Star Trek Six, <laughs> I'd recommend Star Trek Six. I mean, to be fair, if you're you're you've been listening to what episode is this? Our sixteenth episode now. Yeah. If you this far into the podcast with us, you I think you should watch it as a connoisseur of video game movies. But um, yeah, I'd watch something else perhaps if you wanted to have some dumb fun action. And we do have Alone in the Dark too. Waiting us. I'm looking forward to that, actually. Yeah, how that will resolve the ending of this one. Sneaking suspicion, it doesn't. Not at all. At all, (laughs) yeah. So, but that's for a future episode. But what are we doing more imminently? Mm, Well, it's still going to be October when our next episode comes out. And uh, since we've done the, the starter... When it comes to survival horror, we thought we should go on to the main course. That course being Resident Evil. Yes, we're finally tackling one of the big, big franchises. And finally, Paul W.S. Anderson. Friend of the podcast, Paul W.S. Anderson. In the meantime, though, where could our our fans um, <laughs> catch up with us? 
Well, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash gamesonfilmpod, twitter.com, we're at gamesonfilmpod, where you can find more information about all kinds of video game, movie-related stuff, and we post little bits and pieces about the films that we're covering, as yeah. well as, you know, retweeting and posting stuff about I mean, new in-development movies and TV shows. I know, I mean, in the last week or so, there's been, like, a number of video game movies being announced, so they're, they're going to keep coming. Yeah, exactly, and we're going to keep recording episodes about them until we do them all. Bloody well, stop, please! Yeah, <laughs> please stop. Gosh, Twitter-wise, if you want to listen to anything I have to say, uh, my name is at OnlyManWhoCan. And I'm at Rory Steel. And if you do want to get in touch with us at all, then uh, you can message on Facebook, you can um, at us on Twitter, or you can email gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, do rate, uh, review, give us nice feedback, uh, subscribe, recommend it to friends, share with uh, whoever might be interested. We, we got a nice five-star rating the other day. I got, oh, did I got, we? Yeah, I got someone in the office to do it. <laughs> I wanted to see if it was working. That's not legit. <laughs> oh, no, that's your trick. Yes, we want to test whether it's working. So yeah. everyone who's listening to this now, just click five stars because we just want to make sure that it's working. Just yeah. give us a little test. Yeah, we, we, you know, technical difficulties and all that <laughs> stuff. And uh, the music for this episode and every episode was by David Lightfoot. Great. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode and we look forward to tackling Resident Evil next time. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.